0: Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is
1: Fucking Killing Killing Me. Me. I'm Rainey.
0: I'm Corinne. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning
1: in, guys. This week we have Farzana Doctor, who is a novelist here in the city. Her newest book, Seven, is available for pre-order now, and it will be released August of this year, 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, On the podcast, we speak a lot about the writing process how long it can be, how drawn out it can be after the book's actually done. Um, She talks about where the research for this book came from, which is really personal to her and her activism with a group called We Speak Out. Mm -hmm. Here we go.
2: My name is Farzana Doctor, and I am a writer, mostly of novels and also poetry. Because Seven is the new book. Yeah, and it's out in August but wow. it's available for
1: pre-order
0: now. <laughs>
1: <right>? <laughs> yes, plug
2: that. I wow. have a Bitly even. <laughs> you have what, sorry? A Bitly.
0: What is it created bit
2: like? Um, you know, Bitly. Bitly least the, the shortened um, web links. Oh, um, yes. So I wanted to link to another story, which is an independent bookstore rather than Amazon. Mm-hmm. But their web link is something incomprehensible, right? So then you create like, it's bit.ly forward slash, and then you have you, you, you pick um, something that's easy. So I have order seven. That's, hmm. my, that's the link. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> I've, I've been learning these things. You know, so instead of having people order it, because you're
0: publishing, are you publishing independently? Is that correct? No, through Dunder. Through Dunder, yeah. right. Um, so instead of having it put on Amazon, you're having it put through... And it's
2: it's on Amazon, like it's everywhere. Okay. Um, but I don't wanna direct my pre orders to Amazon. Mm. People probably will still buy like through Amazon. Right. They'll you know, they'll they'll go to the another story books sh- bookshop link and right. then they'll decide that they wanna spend three dollars less. So they'll <laughs> go to Amazon or Indigo. Right. But I don't wanna encourage that. I wanna right. encourage the indie bookstores. The small bookstores, yeah. You know.
1: Which uh, indie bookstore have you linked to for your pre-sale? An-
2: another story.
1: Another story. Yeah, on Roncesvalles, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. And I have a U.S. one as well
2: that I can't remember the name of the bookstore, actually. But anyway. Do you
1: live in the West End?
2: I do. I live in South Etobicoke. Oh,
1: so. wow. I love, like, Hyde Park, Roncesvalles. Yeah,
0: that's where I live. <laughs> so nice. nice. really like that area. Um, so this process on writing seven has been quite challenging would you say or quite educational
2: challenging yeah yeah Yeah, so um seven just came like uh, i think every book comes in a way like it it you know bursts into your consciousness and then you have to start writing and you end up making choices right okay but um seven started coming um right when i was uh when when all-inclusive, which is my third novel, Mm -hmm. when that got released. So that was in 2015. And I was super busy, like I was promoting that book, but I was itching to write whatever this was that was coming up. And so um, I just sat down in bed with my coffee for 15 minutes every morning with um, a cheap Dollarama notebook and uh, wrote scenes. And I just filled the notebook And then once the promotion for the other book was close to being done, I transferred everything into you know a word document. Mm -hmm. But it was just coming forward, and I I had to allow it to come forward.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And it was challenging um, because for a few reasons I think, and I'm still processing it because like the book it hasn't come out yet. And often what I find,
0: um, do you not want to give people information about? About like why you wrote it until they've been able to like base their own thoughts on the book. Is no, that why? No,
2: I I'll get to it. I okay. think, but um, I think so. So this was a book that um, I I feel like came really from my unconscious mind, and mm-hmm. I think all books do. But I think it's sometimes it's six months to a year after a book comes out before you really know like what the hell this was all about. Mm-hmm. Like what was the point of writing it? And I, I have ideas about what the point is right now, but I have a feeling that if you were to talk to me a year and a half from now, I might say slightly different things. Mm-hmm. But what was happening for me in 2015 was I was starting to do some activism with a group called We Speak Out, which is this global group of feminists from my uh, community. And I come from this very insular um, like tiny community it's um it's a subsect of of shia muslims called Dawoodi boras very very small and um so i started doing some activism with this group and the the main activism that we've been focusing on is female genital cutting that happens in our community so i started being really active in 2015 around this and it was around that time that my own, like, very suppressed memories of my own experience of this female genital cutting started emerging. So I was writing this book, which was fiction, all these scenes coming out of me, and at the same time, I was having body memories and nightmares and my own experience, and I was trying to figure out, like, what what am I writing here? Like, this isn't me. I'm writing fiction, but I'm also figuring out this material that's coming up
0: mm-hmm. in
2: my nightmares and in my body and in my psyche mm-hmm. so this is the first time that that's ever happened for me um, with previous novels i've been definitely writing from from the unconscious but i've been sorting out things that have been much easier to sort out mm-hmm. so um, this book was a real challenge because i was sorting out uh, trauma And then also writing fiction at the same time. Right. Yeah.
1: So that was tough. (laughs) Was it, did it become easier or more difficult in your writing process to like separate those two things? Dealing with your own trauma and then, but still keeping it fiction. You know, when you're, when you're dealing with your own
2: trauma and like in the, in the, in the early days anyway, you don't have a, a very kind of concise way of making sense of it Mm -hmm. it's just all of these it's it's like it's like splotches on a splotches of paint on a canvas right and so you're seeing these colors and you're seeing these designs and you're seeing these shapes and you're just trying to make sense right so i was carrying on with my very linear narrative of my novel Mm -hmm. which maybe was just very comforting because it was quite the opposite of what I was experiencing internally. Right. I think what probably helped me the most with um, all of it was that I had this activism and I had this community of activists to be able to kind of bounce things off of, both to make sure that the writing was correct, like that I was, you know, writing a good story and one that was like I was getting details about the community. right? Right. But also I had all this information that I could use to help shape the more psychic narrative that was going
1: on yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. interesting yeah yeah that must have been really different from your previous writing experiences because it's like emotional right it's something did you notice any physical effects of coming like understanding that trauma and writing as well um early on before I kind
2: of really understood what was going on. I got pretty sick. (laughs) Um, I was, uh, busy in the promotion cycle of all inclusive and that itself is a stressful, uh, thing to promote a book. Um, and I worry a little bit about what it's going to be like to promote this book. Um, I, it was, uh, it was actually around this time, um, of year in 20, probably 2016 actually. And, um, I got shingles, you know. I'm, you know, 45 year old woman, healthy, supposedly healthy, and I got shingles. Oh. So I think it was like the combination of working really hard to to promote one book, being really public facing, um, worrying about how the book was doing, um, you know, how we're how 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 was it being received, reviewed, all that kind of stuff. Was I getting enough opportunities. Was it, you know, Uh was it doing what I wanted it to do? And then all of, all of this seven was arising at the same time. So, um, you know, I went and got checked out. It was the very early stages. I'm, I'm, I'm very tuned into my body. Uh Um, so I catch like the very early symptoms. I'm lucky, I think. Um, so I had my first shingles blister and, um, the doctor was like, "You gotta get started on medication so you don't have like all the nerve pain that you can get with shingles." Yeah. Shingle? <laughs> Sorry,
0: can we? Just, is it Is it autoimmune? What is the? What it's, is it classified
2: um, as? So it's it's this thing. If you've had um, chickenpox, yes, um, that virus remains kind of lurking around in your system, and waits for your immune system to be so low. And it will emerge. <laughs> wow. Uh, so it's often why older people instance. are at risk.
1: Right. Yeah. There's quite a few viruses that do that. Yeah. Right. That kind of like you can have and lurk around and not mono. know. Mono.
0: Mono. Herpes. It like
2: beats you <laughs> like when you're down, you know? Like yeah. you're like, oh, your immune system is really compromised. You've been working your ass off. You've got a cold, whatever. And then here you go. Here's
1: another thing. Here's another thing.
2: And, um, it's a thing you have to take very seriously because like who gets shingles in their forties, right? You have to take it really seriously. So I took some time off of work. Um, I called my dad and he was like, Oh, you have shingles. So I went and I actually (laughs) stayed at his house in Texas for a week in the, in the warmth. And my stepmother, you know, went out each day and, got me these amazing juice juice concoctions with, like, huge concentrations of ginger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, and I, you know, I had to rest and recover and, like, I think integrate. Just, mm-hmm. like, give myself a second to integrate what was going on.
0: Yeah. I also <clears throat> think it's your body telling you to, to slow down at yeah. times or just, like, no telling choice. your brain to shut off, you know?
2: No choice. Like, and you're on, and you're on these medications that keep you tired for two months basically uh-huh. so <laughs> you just have to obey
0: right stage and you weren't writing at all throughout that stage
2: I was writing still a little bit like I couldn't stop it um but it was it was this 15 minutes you know of vomit on the page uh, yeah. each day and not not worrying too much about it being a novel until later. I knew it was going to be a novel. I knew, I knew there was a reason why I needed to write this. When you get um, obsessed mm-hmm. um, about something, because with a novel you have to be obsessed about a topic, because you're, you're talking about you know a, a two to four year process of just being in the material. So you have to, you have to be really into it.
1: It's <laughs> a lot. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. I mean, you can probably speak to being obsessed with something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean.
1: Working on your thesis.
0: Yes. My entire yeah. thing is about immersive and the Romanov family, mm-hmm. which I've been obsessed with since I was like a baby as a mm-hmm. child. So
2: There's probably a really strong emotional reason yeah. why you're obsessed with them, right? That yeah. has to do with nothing academic.
0: No, it, I think it's <laughs> just, it was like, I mean, I speak about this to, in my thesis a little bit, but it's. Because it was like the first movie I went to with my big sister, who's like my idol. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the first, I mean, I know like seeing yourself as a child in characters is super important right now. And it is super important for everybody. But I was like the first princess that wasn't like the dainty princess. (laughs) It was like the first Disney princess that was like kind of like... It was very independent and, like, Mm -hmm. sassy and, like, clumsy. So I think that's why. But, yeah, you have to be, like, really in to your topic. And I think you have to relate and, like, be able to understand the stakes of the characters that you're building. Yes. Right?
2: For it to be good.
0: Yeah. And, like, I hate using the word, like, authentic. But, like, authentic or genuine or it to feel like something that could actually happen for the buy-in, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And in Seven, um, I have a character... She's this um, 40-year-old woman who is, like, going to India on this trip, which is also like a marriage-saving trip because there's some backstory with her husband. Um, she she has had a bout of infidelity, and there's a little bit of fraying around the edges of their relationship. Mm-hmm. So they go to India with their daughter, right? And um, she thinks that she's going to be researching her great-great-grandfather, but in Instead, she gets swept up in the controversies of her community and mm-hmm. then has to um, figure out where she stands with it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, that's, that's sort of where I was. Of course, I, I knew where I stood on the issues. Mm-hmm. I was quite, you know, clear what my position was, but um, I found myself getting very swept up and having to process um, what it all meant to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the great great grandfather um, research part is also personal mm-hmm. um, I fictionalized it um, because i didn't want everyone in my family to be angry with me but I have um a great great grandfather um, who uh, was quite a figure in my family and um, he you know he has a rags to riches uh, story he didn't have any education he uh, his mother brought him to bombay and He taught himself how to read and write. Um, He taught himself how to speak English and read English. And um, he amassed great wealth and land holdings and all this kind of stuff. And then um, also became um, um, a philanthropist. And um, so, and his philanthropy kind of exists still today anyway. So I went to do some research about him because people in my family, um, you know, are in love with this character of an ancestor it's I say character because nobody nobody knew him he's you know he's been dead for so long mm-hmm. that he's just myth at this point point. and all I all I could excavate from the family and oral history was myth
0: mm-hmm.
2: couldn't find out anything about who he really was as a person so I decided to fictionalize him mm-hmm. um, and he also is a part of the book um, but it's personal in the sense that you know for Uh, My whole life, I've been trying to understand this very strange and beautiful community that I'm from. And he's a a piece of what all all that means. And in every book, I've been writing characters from my community, I think trying to understand who we are Mm -hmm. and why we are so strange and beautiful. Um, So I Mm -hmm. I, I do wonder how that's going to go as well with my... Extended family and community.
1: Right. Yeah. Are you, how worried about that are you? Like, are you worried that they're going to, like, send you a, a nasty email? Are you worried that it's going to, like, translate into relationships?
2: Well, you know, the people who matter in my, who are closest in my family, mm-hmm. um, for example, my father, he's a big supporter of my writing. He's a big supporter of my activism. And I think he's going to, he's going to support this book. Um, and he's he's the family patriarch on his side of the family now. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest. Um, so I think it's going to be okay. I think he's probably going to help a lot. But I think there are going to be some people. So there are some people in my family who don't like the activism and probably won't like um, the activism that exists in the book. And mm-hmm. maybe it'll be a lot of grumbling um, behind my back. Maybe there'll be some emails. But I'm also criticizing the community that I'm from um, for its practices. And this is a community that practices um, social shunning, um, which is very dangerous, not for me in my own life. It's more dangerous for people who are very connected to the community. Like if you have a business, probably people from your community are coming and supporting your business. Um, Also, you know, social shunning is important for people who want to be married and buried within the community. And Mm -hmm. you can't access any of those things if um, you've been shunned. So um, I expect, um, so the people who are behind the social shunning are uh, hostile, aggressive, even violent people. And so I wonder as well if there might be some of those people who come at me. Mm. Um, in my activism uh around this issue i'm I'm the Twitter handler for we speak out, and okay. we get all kinds of trolls from the backlash community of people who just want us to be quiet about mm. all of this so right I expect some trolls, but you know that everybody has trolls, mm-hmm. probably you both have trolls, mm. you know there's always trolls. Yeah. I love to be trolls,
0: yeah. <laughs> Do you ignore that when you see it?
2: I uh, I block them all. Yeah. Yeah. Initially um our group tried to engage them with this idea that maybe we could engage but no, there's no point. There's no right. point. So
0: you're not changing anybody's yeah. mind on the internet, I don't think no. so. Not no. Not enough like 200 characters in Twitter. Yeah. No, <laughs> right? No. Yeah.
2: No. The only people you can engage, I think, on Twitter are the people who are kind of on the fence and maybe a little interested and right. then maybe they'll get involved.
1: Yeah. They're curious. They'll read yeah. an article or two. Yes. They'll engage with the platform or the information on their own, really. Yes. You're they're,
2: they're halfway there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just need someone to like point them in the right direction. Yeah.
2: And like you said earlier, it's really easy uh, for people to be hostile and mean mm-hmm. on Twitter mm-hmm. because of the anonymity, which is sad.
0: Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Have you received any backlash in your past books that would like help prepare you to deal with this? You know, I've
2: been very lucky. I've been very lucky. So... Um, I haven't, you know, I haven't been um, head on addressing Mm -hmm. these kinds of issues. This is the first time. I've wanted to for years. You know, my first book, Stealing Nasreen, um, has this um, element of this uh, portrait of um, a queen and her servant. And uh, the characters will sometimes feel like the servant and the queen are judging them, or like smiling at them, or like reacting. Um, and the way it's written, you don't know if it's in their imagination or if it's, tr- if it's like a kind of a magical realism. Mm-hmm. When I first was writing the book, um, that wasn't the portrait. The portrait was our apex leader in the community. So we have kind of like a pope. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a, we have a, a head guy mm-hmm. who is the leader. And many people will display his portrait on the wall as a sign of respect right. and devotion. And so that's, that was the original writing that I had. And I asked a couple of aunts, so here's what I've done. He's an element in the book. What do you think? And they're like, no, take it out. Oh, wow. There's going to be so much trouble. There, there could be a fatwa, like you can't do this. And so that was my first novel, and I was wanting to address this kind of devotion of this man. Yeah. Even back then. This human yes. man. Yeah. That's at the time. Fallible top. person who yeah. is thought of as not that. And so um, I dropped that hmm. element in that book, and I carried on and thought, okay, don't want to get anyone in trouble. But now, now there's a bigger reason to really get into this. And it's because, you know, I am part of a movement that is working on this issue. I'm not alone. Um, Right. I have, I have support and it's, it's really time. It's really overdue that we're having this conversation in the community. So um, I haven't had backlash in Mm. the past. I've only had like, you know, weird, you know, book critic comments that you get because people are weird book critics.
1: <clears throat> right.
2: And you just ignore that, right? You just bury yeah, those yeah, bad like, reviews. I don't need
1: that. It's not going on my website. It's fine. That's
0: right. You just bury it. No one else reads it, right? Totally. Huh? I'm like, I see, like, one thing, and I'm, like, fixated. But
1: yeah. I can't read the comments. Yes, can't exactly.
0: Read. I hear one thing. I just like fixate on why it's not what I wanted to hear, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do that.
2: Yeah, but what you do is you elevate the good comments, yeah.
0: right?
2: You put it on your website, <laughs> yeah. you tweet it, you do all that kind of stuff, and so that's what people will see.
1: Yeah, no one needs to see read bad reviews. Right. No one needs
2: to. <laughs> I also think that like there's no objectivity, right? So people who are doing scathing reviews and I've had like, it's, it's only like I've had maybe one per book and the rest are good reviews. But I sometimes think that when people are over the top in their negativity, it's because they got triggered by your work. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, hey, isn't that interesting? I got triggered by this work. Let me look at that. Mm-hmm. They get mad. Right. Yeah, and then they
0: write their anger instead of processing and understanding maybe where where yeah. that's coming from. I think. Yeah, that's the harder work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um,
1: before, right before you got sick with mm-hmm. your shingles in the mm-hmm. crazy touring of your last mm-hmm. book, were you already starting to feel the bouts of burnout?
2: Um. I would say not before the touring. It was in the midst of it. And I think it, it was like the just the juggling of too many things. Mm-hmm. Like I have uh, another part-time job separate from the writing, and I was trying not to disturb that too much, which is, I don't know. That was so unrealistic to think <laughs> that, yeah, I, I have... Um, I have a strategy that's going to be different this time around. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was I was trying not to. So my, my part-time job is I'm um, a psychotherapist in private practice, so I have these clients I see in the afternoon, and I love that job too. Um, but I do feel this, this real kind of obligation to not disrupt that
0: work mm-hmm. and right.
2: people's experience of therapy. Unrealistic you know, and they survive if you do, they're fine. (laughs) Um, And so it was just about trying to keep too much together. So, you know, I might have gone to a festival where I was, you know, presenting stuff Friday to Sunday and then back at work on Monday. But, you know, um, one hour of presenting your work is kind of like eight hours of a regular work day. I don't know if you've experienced that too.
0: Yeah. Presentations take a lot
2: more work sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And being so like extroverted in your character. Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Mm -hmm. So you're sort of outside of yourself. So, yeah. So I don't, I think what I'm going to tell my clients this time around is, Hey, you know, between September and November, It's fall book season. I've got a new book that's coming out. Maybe some of them are just going to be listening to this um, Mm -hmm. announcement now, but I will talk (laughs) about this closer to the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to kind of say there might be some interruptions and just you may have to expect that if that's an issue, let me know. We'll work with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they'll probably say, okay, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, that's one thing I'm I've I hope I've learned mm-hmm. uh, since last time. Um, I'm my self care is a bit better since last time. I'm further into perimenopause, <laughs> which means I kind of know what's going on with mm-hmm. all of these changes in my body a little bit more. Um, so I rest more. Mm-hmm. I meditate daily. Um, a bit more like on my exercise schedule, so I I'm gonna try to keep all of that going. Mm.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Self care and is like an ongoing routine. It's an ongoing, developing. Is just you trying to develop strategies to like make sure you're okay, and I think it takes a really long time to like start figuring out what that routine is and see what works to, what works for you. Right, and I think that meditating is so important, <laughs> and like something that like I definitely, I think a lot of like a lot of people reject at a young age. Mm-hmm. I think, and
2: that, that might change, eh? Yeah. Like because it's being introduced to yeah. kids. Oh, it's just such an amazing thing. Maybe, yeah, maybe they'll just see it like exercise, totally good nutrition. Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah it's a hard thing like it's 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 so counterintuitive right like we know these things are good for us but when we're struggling it can be really hard to do it yeah and it's also like a moving target like what we need in self-care this week is different from next month Mm -hmm. i mean not vastly different but a bit
1: different right right Mm -hmm. and i find that like noticing what is a crutch when you're feeling a certain way versus, like, actually doing something that's good for you is also important. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like, especially being younger, being like, oh, I just, like, am feeling a certain way, I'm going to, like, have a drink. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, like, have a glass of wine when I get home. Isn't doesn't necessarily do the good that you want because you're tired or you're, like, dehydrated or you just need to eat well, right? Would do so much more in the long run and would help you sleep better, which is, like, what you really need, Right.
0: Yeah. Personal experience. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Self-care is an ongoing... Yeah, we
2: can take shortcuts a lot of the time. Yeah. The line does seem faster,
1: easier.
0: (laughs) Better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Naps versus exercises, I think, is also one. Sometimes totally necessary, though. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's like oh, I'm tired, I should just take a nap. But mm-hmm. you're like, I've slept so much. Yeah. Like, maybe I should go outside, or maybe I should like... Just go for a walk. Get my muscles producing Yeah. <laughs>
1: totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, You kind of hinted at it earlier, talking about working with like publishing people, mm-hmm. group like things that are periphery to your writing that you have to deal with.
0: Yes.
2: So, you know, this question about like, you know, being an artist is fucking killing me. You know that <laughs> I was thinking a lot about that, you know, and listening to other episodes and I would say the actual art, this precious thing that we engage in, mm-hmm. the sitting down and writing the new stuff and being immersed in that, that's like that keeps me alive. Mm-hmm. But there's so much to art if you want to be an artist. So if you just want to write, or you just want to paint on your in your spare time, or you just want to dance in your spare time, or whatever you just want to do that as a hobby, I don't. I think you only experience that as sustaining, right? Life sustaining. Mm-hmm. But then once you become an artist, there is this whole world that you enter, and there are so many parts of the world you have no control over, mm-hmm. and that's the stuff that feels like it. Makes you off balance or crazy or, um, yeah, sick, yeah, right. And so, the things that I don't have control over, um, are things like the publishing schedule, you know. Um, this book that I wrote seven was probably finished, like, you know, almost finished. I did, I had to do a little editing this year, but it was pretty much finished two and a half years ago. But then there was a whole process of, you know, finding the publisher. Like I have an agent. She's she's a wonderful woman. Um, so she was shopping it around, looking for the publisher. And then the publisher decides on their schedule and you might be in a 14, 16 month schedule with them, right? Mm -hmm. Because they wanna they wanna schedule it when it's gonna be ideal for them. And advantageous for you too. Right. Right? <clears throat> so you know, there's all this waiting that you have to do. And then the other stuff you don't have control over is who's going to show up to your launch? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How is it going to get reviewed? Will it get reviewed? Will it will it get, you know, sidelined? Because there's another book that the reviewer wants to read instead because there are so many books, right? Right. Um, will you get into that festival? Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. Um, uh, will Will your book get submitted for the award? Maybe it won't. Maybe maybe your publisher has another book that is um, just as good that year. And they, they've put that book forward, you know, Mm -hmm. because there's only a certain number of books that get forwarded for awards. Right. Um, And then if it does get submitted, the jury might not like it. (laughs) The jury might be, you know, feeling something else. So like, you know, there's there's some there's a stat. I don't know if this is completely accurate, but something like only five percent of writers in Canada um, are able to be so successful that they can live off of the royalties of their book.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and how many of those are men?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good <laughs> question. So, you can just look at the bestseller lists and see all of that. Right. Um. So that's five. Per- so that that leaves like ninety five percent of us that are hustling,
0: mm-hmm.
2: really hustling constantly, yeah. to try to get the book read and you know translated into other languages, mm-hmm. and um, we hope our foreign rights get bought and so on and so on. So there's a lot that you just don't have control over that you try to have control over. <laughs> So, so part of it is accepting that, like, you have to write a good book, it has to be the best quality possible, mm-hmm. and then um, it's kind of up to the world to right. decide what's going to happen next.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask you how much you get per book if it's selling at a certain <clears throat> price point?
2: Yeah, ten percent is generally ten percent off of. The gross. Um, okay. So, if a book is selling for twenty dollars, you get two dollars. In Canada, a bestseller is five thousand books sold. Mm-hmm. Literary fiction is the l- l- kind of I think one of the lowest uh, selling uh, genres. Okay. Um, so let's let's say you're you enter best selling. Mm-hmm. You sell five thousand. That's that's the mark you have to reach. Yeah. Let's, let's say you even sell 10,000 copies. You've made $20,000 on a book that maybe was a four or five-year process. Yeah. So most writers um, have another job. Most right. writers also, you know, engage in kind of the, the gig economy, right? So you, you try to write um, other articles you try to teach mm-hmm. uh, you try to present your work and get honoraria from that you try to be a writer in residence you try to do all those other things to to help you have an income as a writer
1: right uh-huh. yeah
0: it seems mm-hmm. very very similar to <laughs> yeah
1: being performers yeah yes. yeah I think it is yeah
2: and I don't know what can correct that um, Canada. I don't know
1: it's <clears throat> I mean there's no union for dancers mm-hmm. so that is like one of the issues in Canada is that there's the standards of work are I think mm-hmm. not up to par with other industries mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there is literally yeah. yeah we have yeah. Um,
2: the Writers Union of Canada Great. Right. Um, and it's not like a standard um, mm-hmm. labor union right. um, but it is an organization that works hard for advocacy for mm-hmm. writers
1: um, yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right that's great yeah it's also hard with so sorry am I interrupting no no, no. Oh, you go ahead um, it's hard when you all you want to do is write all you want you to do is your like your thing to be seen and then you try to do all this other work that feel connected to the thing that you want to do but aren't really connected to the thing mm-hmm. that you want to do and they're just time consuming
0: mm-hmm.
1: and exhausting uh, you yeah. know That's how I felt. I used to teach dance, kids to dance. And, like, when I first started it, loved it. I was like, oh, I don't have to, like, serve. I don't have to do all these other things that are not related to my craft. Yeah. And then by the time I, like, stepped away from that, I was like, it's not really what I want to do. It's, like, under this umbrella of dance. Mm -hmm. But it was more exhausting for me, I found, than what I was getting out of it in return.
2: It's more parallel versus in intersecting. Twa- yeah, intersecting.
1: Totally. Mm-hmm. But I never felt just be- and because I don't want to be a teacher, I don't want to open a studio, that those lines were like, never going to do this. They were never going to intersect in a way that felt fruitful. Yes. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> teaching makes better, mo- very good money. Yes. Right? Teaching kids does make really good money for the hours. <laughs> yes, <laughs> much like I'm sure writing does.
2: Do You know, I think one of the ways that I've been really privileged in my life, um, I mean, it's it starts off from something that doesn't feel like privilege, but like when I was a when I was a kid, I was I was writing, I was um, always performing plays that I had written in the house, right? And um, so my parents saw what I was up to. They saw what kind of kid I was. Um, but they didn't encourage um, artistic anything. Mm. Uh, there was there was this notion that um, it's good if you've got an artistic hobby, because right. that's going to be good for you, which is true. Everybody should have an artistic hobby, at, at least a hobby. Um, and then I was encouraged to become a professional. My dad is a doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really badly wanted all of us to become doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Um, his, his, his third child became a doctor. Thank God one of us did. Um, anyway, so I, um, you know, went to university. I became kind of an activist in university and ended up getting a job at a women's shelter, a shelter for abused women in Hamilton. And it was through there that I ended up um, moving into social work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had been encouraged to be a writer or a performer or all those things I was doing as a child, I might have you know ended up with an MFA or I might have mm-hmm. ended up in some other stream. but I ended up being a social worker. And the privilege of that is that um, although I had I, I started my writing career kind of later on, um, the privilege of that is that I get to have this part-time job as a social worker that does, Sustain me financially, right. so that I don't have to worry that much about the gig economy in the writer mm-hmm. world. I do some of it, but um, you know, if I wanted to, I could just write, and I could just see my clients and be fine. Right. So that is a that is a privilege. And so for the for the people I meet out there, like, you know, I'll often go and do talks about what it means to be a writer. And they'll be like, so how does this work? Because I, you know, I know I won't make any money. I will sometimes say, like, do you have a like another interest? Like, do you have a pragmatic side? Do you have some other skill? Like, maybe you want to go in the into the trades
1: Mm -hmm.
2: so that you can work independently half time being mm-hmm. a plumber no you know hope. right totally and then be a writer the rest of the time or you know maybe you've got maybe you've got something else like so i often will ask people like what else is there so that you don't have to be in the writer gig economy and struggle so much mm-hmm. right
1: have you noticed there be like paying writing jobs more and more and become less and less in or a value because there's like so many people in the industry and it's moved all on like majority of it online. Well,
2: I'm not sure. Cause I've, I i did not look for a lot of mm. that kind of stuff. Right. right? But I, I could say, yes, I think that's true. Cause that's what people talk about. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have to do that. Totally. I do enjoy some of that. Like I, I loved being a writer in residence. Mm-hmm. I, I loved teaching, um, like the practical stuff of writing,
0: uh-huh.
2: um, as long as I have enough time to write for yourself. Yes,
0: that's yeah. a priority.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, are there times where you notice that the writing for yourself is more important than um, what else, other things going on?
2: There are. There are moments. I think it has to do with. Um, the development of a book and where you are, Mm -hmm. where all I'm just craving, like, I just wanna stay here. Like, why can't I stay here a few more hours? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going somewhere, like, I just need to be immersed. So there are moments like that. It happens also in the editing stage, the revision stage, where you just wanna be, like, the only thing you wanna be thinking about is that sentence on page 30 and how it connects to that sentence on page two hundred and ten, and you have to keep it all in your head, and you can't do that if you've got five other jobs, <laughs> uh-huh. right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I sometimes like, you know, we'll just take a week off and Bork. go somewhere and do that. Yeah, I went. Um, I went to a cottage this year and ordered pizza and just hold up. But I, I, I didn't even need to be at a cottage, right? I was just all hold up with pizza and my laptop and
0: candy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm in the well, snacky snacky stage right now as yeah.
2: well are you in a place where you just want to be immersed in one thing
0: yeah it's also driving me fucking crazy but I yeah I def I I think I said that to Corinne a couple of week months ago It was like I just want to do one thing for like six months all I want to do is one thing I don't want to have to go from here until here, until here, until here. I want to just be fully in one thing. But unfortunately, that is not the case. So that is not the life I've chosen, but that's okay.
2: Uh, And I I wonder what it's like to be all in one thing. Like um, if you are a writer whose uh, royalties sustain you, and so you just wake up in the morning and you're at your computer from like 9.30 to 4 or whatever you do, um, what is that like? I, I'm very curious. Uh-huh. And are you productive? I mean, sometimes I think I'm productive with the two hours two and yeah. the hours I have. Exactly. I is, agree. What is it like to walk through your day where you're like, maybe you're productive for two hours and then you go for a walk and you're just like, you have all this fallow time and yeah. then maybe you get a bright idea because your mind is empty. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of this... Um, fantasy that
1: I have maybe it'll be like when I retire (laughs) I'm just Um, like imagining Margaret Atwood (laughs) how she like moves through her day yeah yeah
2: yeah Yeah, because she would be in that position for you know probably decades now yeah but maybe writers find a way to fill their time you know Mm -hmm. you know you end up volunteering you end up um, doing all kinds of other things. I, I know I get a lot of requests to write blurbs, for example, and then suddenly I'm in someone else's work and not mm-hmm. my own. So I don't know, like maybe, mm. maybe we all just, um, fill our time stupidly. I don't know.
0: Do you have a, a specific time of day or, I mean, you said 15 minutes in the morning with your coffee seems to be like you're would you say that's your most productive writing happens? Yeah,
2: and and that's when I'm only mm. I'm too busy and I just have to uh, spit something out. But generally, um, my life is that my mornings are devoted to my writing life. Mm-hmm. So that can include promotion. That can include um, just writing, just editing. Um, uh, but yeah, so I would say like from nine to one, mm-hmm. I have for my writing life and when I'm writing new material or I'm editing new material I try to have at least half of that time for the actual writing when I'm um, in a break like right now um, I'm waiting for Seven to come out um, I'm doing a little writing to promote it
0: yeah
2: um, I'm waiting um, for my agent to get back to me I've, I've, I've been writing this other book and she's looking at it now and going to get some feedback to me probably next week so I am in this kind of in-between stage and so then I try to focus more on like promotional ideas and mm-hmm. you know other kinds of things mm-hmm. but I still think of it as that's my writing morning like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna book a client
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah they say it's the first hour of your day is like the most productive of the it's most pro- it's supposed to be one of the most productive hours of your that you get things done in for people that are like CEOs and business. That first hour when they wake up is supposed to be the most productive hour. Yeah. And I think I like kind of get it because I think it's like your brain isn't awake yet to distract you right. from you're, you're from inner the life isn't awake yet. <laughs> yeah, right? you're just you just like kind of wake up and you're like
1: that inner troll
0: hasn't <laughs> rolled over yet. <laughs> Also, I just think you haven't gotten to the point that you're like pro- trying to progress. I mean, you want to do it, so it's very different. But yeah. <laughs> even when you want to do things,
1: I find it's still hard. Like my to-do list after the holidays felt very long, and I had tons of time, mm-hmm. but couldn't. Even though I would like look at my calendar and I would like block out when I was going to do things, I would just move them around. <laughs> I would just right. move it to the next day, right. you know. And it was very easy to become. Even, like, tasks that I enjoy doing. Just, uh-huh. like, I'm going to not, you know? Yeah. So sometimes I also find it easier with, like, I only have the morning. Yeah. Or I only have a three-hour block to do it and get it done. Exactly. Or else it's not getting done this week. And then you're, like...
2: So, like, you you just don't have, like, the luxury of letting your brain talk you out of things. Yes. But I also think that sometimes we need those periods of time where we... Get to postpone tasks like, like maybe maybe there's something else brewing. Mm. I don't know. Right, and that's the positive way of
0: right. Okay. That's such a glass half full way. To- <laughs> yeah, or it was like my body
1: telling me that I needed to rest. Yeah, right. It was like this thing is not gonna die. This thing is not gonna like explode if you don't do it right now. Yeah, and you're tired, so just like lay down for a little bit. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> you know. Yeah, (laughs) you said you're currently in the process of um, getting feedback from another 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 book. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah, because you know, seven was like technically written, um, and so I, while you're waiting, you just have to start a new thing (laughs) because the waiting is going to kill you. Um, Yeah, so I have another book that I've uh, got a a good draft of. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll get lots of feedback where I'll have to redraft, mm. which is, that's the real writing, right, is in the rewriting. So um, I embrace that. Um, and it's a YA book. I, so I've written four novels that are all like adult contemporary literary fiction. That's the genre. Uh-huh. And um, I wanted to like try something different, um, just to stretch a little bit. Um, so I'm trying to write a YA novel and it's been kind of fun to, like, be in the mind of, like, 16-year-olds. Yeah. why is um, youth, op- youth. Yes. Um, young. Young. Uh, young adult. Right. Sorry. <clears throat> and it's it's a crossover kind of genre because adults often like young adult fiction as mm-hmm. well. Um, uh, there's And there's there's a few, I don't know if you read The Marrow Thieves by mm. uh, Cherie Dimaline. It um, was on the bestseller list for, like. Over a year last year, and it's a it's a YA novel that I think is a good example of a crossover book. Mm-hmm. Adults loved it too, so I'm I'm hoping that I've written a crossover YA book. We'll see. <laughs> um, and it's um, inspired by um, a year of my own life when I was 15. Um, I went. Uh, I I was having a kind of a tough time as a 15 year old at home. Um, my mom had died a few years earlier, nobody was talking through our grief, and then my dad got remarried and to a lovely, lovely person who I love a lot, but at the time I did not accept her. <laughs> <laughs> and I was scheming for ways to run away from home. and what do you do when you're an upper-middle-class kid to run away from home? (laughs) I had this friend who had once been in a private boarding school, and I got obsessed with the idea of a private boarding school. So I was living in Whitby at the time, and um, I went to the Whitby Public Library, looked at all the Ontario yellow pages for boarding schools, wrote down all of their addresses, sent off for applications to all the girls' schools or the co-ed schools, Mm -hmm. and um, I got accepted to one of them. (laughs) And I approached my father, who was like appalled at the idea. He had no idea. I'd done all this in secret. (laughs) And uh, uh, an aunt um, sort of finally convinced him that maybe it would be good for our family to just let me have a year to be gone mm-hmm. <laughs> when it was awful I had so much more freedom at home <laughs> as a fairly unsupervised feral child right and then I went to this boarding school for a year where we were ruled by bells a bell told you when to wake up and went to pee and when to have your breakfast it was just maddening and so um <clears throat> but I, I made some really good friends that year <laughs> and um <laughs> and I grew up a bit, and I stopped being so spoiled. And uh, uh, so it's inspired by that year. Wow!
0: Yeah, very different experiences <laughs> between the two books, between Seven and that yes, one.
2: Yes, and I wanted something lighter. I wanted, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, even when I'm Netflixing, I love <laughs> watching shows about teenagers because their angst is so temporary
1: oh yeah you know you're like it's gonna be fine it's
2: gonna be fine (laughs) so i love all the you know Mm -hmm. the shows that are about teenagers so i wanted to write something about teenagers where the angst was real right but
1: temporary right Mm -hmm. yeah i'm very curious how many boarding schools are in ontario i think
2: that there's like quite a few i I applied to maybe i don't know eight
0: or something? Yeah. I don't know. I
2: applied to quite a few. It's actually
0: a lot. <laughs> just,
2: just got, I got, in, I, got um, I think th- three interviews and was wow. accepted to one in Belleville called Albert College. Hmm. And I begged my father to let me come home halfway through the year. <laughs> and he said, no, you're going to finish your year. You made this decision. <laughs> I was like, I'm fucking 15. But... <laughs> Um what a lesson. like what kind of decision do you make at that age? Anyway an Excellent parenting though. <laughs> so um I finished out the year and I came home. Yeah. And went back to school in my town. Yeah. <laughs> <That's so laughs> and learned funny. how to get along with my stepmother who again is a beautiful person
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) if we take anything from that story (laughs) it gets better
2: right it's that whole thing of like you just grow up it's really hard to be a teenager you think it's the end of the world all these things and you know you survive them hopefully and
0: look back on them and write a book about it (laughs) i think that's anything not even when you're a teenager even now just trying to survive things you eventually do and Maybe you'll write a book about it, <laughs> about being... Not <laughs> more writing. <in> dissertation. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> um, do you get worried while you're promoting... Not worried, but I guess, do you get... Is it hard trying to promote a book that was written so long ago when you have this whole new idea brewing and it's... can it, feel weird, it yeah. It seems like it's a bit...
2: Yeah. It can feel weird. And, you know, sometimes um, I get invited to book clubs that are reading, um, like a book from 2011, actually, I, I just did a book club. Um, it was all online in India, they were reading, um, six meters of pavement, which is, which came out in 2011. So, you know, it's 2020 right now, nine years ago. And that book got written and finished probably in 2009. Hmm. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, they're asking me questions about the characters and my motivation and. My answers are so different today than uh, when I was promoting the book in 2011 because I have such different perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm less scared, of course, you know, about how to answer questions. So, So, yeah, so that's like, okay, so I'm talking about a book that's three books ago at that stage. So it is a bit weird. I'm still very fond of it. It's like a child that's from... You know that you still love but it's like not your focus anymore it's grown up right um i think you know my my promoting um concern with this book which is quite different than all the other books is the other so all of the books are fiction including seven and i'll have to keep saying that to everybody it's fiction 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 but with the other books um i think they were so much more believably fiction, Mm. or at least I thought so. Anyway, I think everyone thinks that the protagonist is you. Mm. Um, But with this book, um, because the activism has gone parallel to this book, I am public facing these days in my activism, Mm. which is a little hard, right? You're like, talking about your trauma and so I think that as I'm promoting seven I'll be talking about these hard issues not just story Mm -hmm. right and that'll be a bit different because then I'll also be talking about me and I've never done that
1: before in my promotion right really talking about yourself yeah Yeah. and with like a controversial topic yes twist to it yeah a trauma topic right Yeah. 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 yeah
2: yeah Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that'll be different. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see what it's like to promote a book where you also have, um, the trauma experience of the protagonist. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And people are probably very quick to just, to assume that that character is you and everything that that character experiences and everything that that character did to become a protagonist is something that you did as well, right? Yeah. That's
2: really must be. i guess i'll have to say you know that'll be up to the reader to decide in right. the end you let it go mm-hmm. um i'll keep saying it is fiction and there are elements of my experience and elements of um my my community of amazing feminist women survivors oh. there are elements of you know all their collective stories uh in the book um and you know there's always elements of yourself you know i've i've written this part of this, the the fun part of the story is uh, this woman is, you know, dealing with the aftermath of her infidelity. And I'm very curious about infidelity. Um, I've experienced it on the other end, people cheating on me. And I don't know, it's, it's a very, like, it's a topic of interest to me. I, I, I'm always interested when it comes up with my clients as well. And so, you know, I've I've written quite a lot about her infidelity, and that was really fun for me. And then, you know, talking about how this couple rekindles their sex life after all of this is very interesting to me as an individual and as a therapist. Like, how do people bring back the erotic in their life? So that was also a fun part to write. So that's, that's a little bit of me and my preoccupations. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I had a question and then I lost it. I'm so sorry. Do you feel like there's a weightedness when you present work like this because you're so attached to yourself? I mean, like, in I think most art, there's, like, a piece of you in it. It doesn't matter what you do or what you practice. Mm -hmm. You're always presenting, like, a portion or a slice of yourself to the world.
2: I think it depends on how distant you feel to the issue. Like you, of course, there's always a part of you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, how how resolved are those issues for you and how right. distant are you? And um, so, um, you know, with my first book, uh, I was not so resolved, not so distant from some of the things I was writing about. And so that felt very vulnerable. Um, with my second book, I felt like I was, you know, quite distant from the issues, so it was really easy. Same thing with the third book. Um, so I think it really depends on how close or far. Right. So because you know I am very close to these issues, and it was only in 2015 that all of the sort of memories started to emerge. Mm-hmm. I. It's partially resolved, I guess. Right. Right? Yeah. Partially, I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So It's a work in progress. So yeah. I think there is some vulnerability for me. Totally. It would be really different to write this book 10 years from now.
1: Right. There's mm-hmm. so much more space. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to think about that and like, would it be the same book if it was 10 years from now? Yeah, probably not. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, these issues are very current in our like global...
1: Conversations, yeah, yeah. It's
2: so it's important that we're having them now. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I just thought of as I was thinking about this distance thing. So, in in my second novel, um, the premise is about a man who, twenty years ago, made the worst mistake of his life. He um, forgot his baby in the backseat of the car, and she died. And so, the book picks up twenty years later, right? So, there's a bit of emotional distance mm-hmm. in that book, and I felt very. Distance from that issue like that was just an issue I'd heard about in the media, mm-hmm. right. And I was like very preoccupied with it and I was obsessed with it mm-hmm. and how does someone get over this, right? so um, after that book came out I was touring and I was um, touring in Texas where my father lives now and he had read like the first half of the book and he said to me So, uh, Farzana, did your mother, my mother died when I was quite young. Um, he said, did your mother ever tell you the story about when you were a baby? And I was like, what, like, what are you talking about? And like, you know, I started to get like chills in my body you know, and just felt like start to feel a little ill. And then I got really hot and cold and hot it was very (laughs) weird. And he was like, yeah, you know, when you were six months old, we left you in the car. Um... You know, no one worried about those things back then. We were going into a furniture store. We had just moved to Canada and we needed furniture. Like he was going on about the furniture. And <laughs> I'm like, you left me in the car, in the backseat of the car. It was summer. And then he tell- Then he eventually gets to, and then when we came back, we had to resuscitate you. What? And I was like, what? What? This is why I wrote this book. This is oh why God. I wrote this book. This is why I wrote this So I had a lot of emotional distance from that because I didn't remember that. Right. It was a story told to me uh, 40 years after the fact.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Wow. <laughs> so our psyches are very interesting, right? So That's,
1: that's so crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah. And he, he could have chosen not to ever tell me because we're not big talkers in our family. We're very emotionally... right repressed people. <laughs> so I was really thankful that he told me that story. And I don't know how he feels about me repeating this story, but it's important to like, this is where stories come from. Right. right. They come from ourselves. Totally. They come mm-hmm. from our organs. Like, yeah,
0: they come from our inner babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Perfect. Uh, is being an artist fucking killing you? Um, I think like I said before, the actual, the
2: actual art is everything, keeps me alive. And then there are moments when the actual being the artist and being in the world of the publishing and all of that sometimes feels like it's stripping away my skin and making me sick and making me tired and all of that stuff. And um, I have to work really hard for it to not do that. Mm So it, it tries to. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: that's amazing.
1: Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending your morning with us. Oh, thank you so much. That was really fun for me yes,
2: to just fun. talk like, yeah. yeah. and Explore the subject. Thank you so
0: much for the invitation. Oh,
1: yeah. our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, so, Rainy. Yeah,
0: for sure. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please send us an email, send us a tweet, drop us a DM, do whatever you do, leave a review. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking to find... Seven?
2: Seven. Um, <laughs> you can um, You can pre-order it now. It's available in August. If you go to my website, you'll find all the pre-order links. It's just farzanadoctor.com. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you.